Hi, I'm Riley. And I'm Taylor. Welcome to the Happy Hour Film Club, the podcast where we talk about movies over cocktails. Our theme today is Going Home. As per usual, we do try to avoid major spoilers, but sometimes they happen. We discuss the films, but we're going to try really hard to talk about them in a way that's both entertaining and still leaves you wanting to watch. Hello and welcome. Today our theme is not about the holidays, but maybe holiday adjacent. And we have two movies that deal with the complexities of going home. So what going home movie did you go for? Okay, so I chose Death at a Funeral, which is kind of a going home movie. I feel like it, it is and it isn't. You have some characters coming, going home and you have some that aren't, but it's such a large ensemble cast that you really have a whole lot of different subplots happening all at once. So that'll be kind of fun to talk and go, talk about, but I feel like you chose a more traditional going home at least as far as that being a theme kind of Yeah, movie. so the movie I chose is Gross Point Blank. Such a good, weird movie. It is a weird one. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about that for now. <laughs> all right, well, before we get into it, you want to get some cocktails? Please. Welcome back, Nick. I see you have another cocktail for us. I don't know why I sounded surprised by that. I knew it was coming. But what did you make for us? <laughs> so today, I made I made a very classic cocktail. In fact, I would say it is kind of the OG cocktail. It is an old-fashioned. Um, it's very the, strong. It is very strong. <laughs> oh my gosh, Nick. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Oh, sorry. my hairs are standing on end. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we're going to get silly here. So, oh, when you go and do reunions, oftentimes there's a, there's a tinge of uncomfortableness. Or, you mean or, like discomfort? Is oh, it that word that you're. Yeah, yeah there you go. Like discomfort. discomfort. <laughs> I mean, uncomfortableness. Works. I like uncomfortableness better. Uncomfortableness. I, uncomfortableness. There, there dis- you're right, though. There's discomfort with it. <laughs> if you want to use proper English, fine. If you want to be a jerk like me, then <laughs> you use the word discomfort. <laughs> Hoity toity. But, but reunions tend to come with. You know, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of awkwardness. And so you kind of want, like, a strong drink. And so I kind of went with the old-fashioned because it's easy to make. It kind of makes you look like you know what you're doing Mm. when, like, you make a drink. Because a lot of times, because, like, the the movies y'all chose, like... Uh, I know Gross Point Blank has a bar. I can't remember if Death at a Funeral has as a bar of sorts, but it's basically just like, like, vodka soda or like, like pretty basic, just mm. like mixer liquor kind of stuff. And so I didn't want to go as simple as that. I thought about it. I thought about just doing like a rum and coke, <laughs> but just having like, just a crap like generic soda and then like basic. Oh, like special K like, cola or yeah, something. So, yeah, yeah, like RC cola. Yeah. And, and, I thought uh, you'd make it fancy and do like craft cola. No, no, no. I would, oh. I would go 
as basic as you would okay. get from like uh, like a reunion of sorts. That's where fair. They just have a cheap bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also decided I'm like people just want like to grab a drink and go and like if it if they are gonna bring drinks like it's gonna be something simple and that's where an old fashioned comes in and surprisingly I looked through our list and we haven't done an old fashioned so. It feels like a good place. For Saved it. it for a rainy day. It is a good one. I mean, you're you hit it on the head when you said that it makes you look like you know what you're doing. I think it also that goes for drinking it. Yeah. Also, not just making it. Because I when I order like when I first really started going to bars and I ordered an old fashioned, I felt so fancy and like people knew that I that I knew what I liked and like. What it, yeah, I just felt like an expert for yeah. some reason. And like, yeah. And I don't like, think I started feeling fancy until, like, I knew the names of certain, like, whiskeys. Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> You could, like, look at the bottles on the shelf and know which one you wanted. That or, was... Like, or, e- or even they would just even ask, like, oh, like, what's your preferred whiskey? And then mm. I could, like, have an answer. And mm-hmm. then you just feel very fancy. <laughs> Did you ever, like make it up because I definitely had people who would ask and be like oh well what do you have and they start to list I'm just like okay pick this one you know yeah (laughs) no I honestly yeah there were several times when I'm like oh what would you recommend and they would rattle off a few and I'd be like that one I feel like it's a knowledgeable drink it is but if you know you know definitely and like knowing like your whiskey and stuff like that your preference that's like the extra like kind of cherry on top of it but yeah mm-hmm. like if you can just order an old-fashioned like that's the, the way to go like you're one step away from just being like i would like scotch on the rocks or like a bourbon neat kind of thing yeah yeah like exactly speaking i will never go that far but it's like you're just close enough to where you're like okay like, speaking of cherry on the top though where do you stand on having cherries in the old-fashioned. Okay, so... some bars do that and some don't. Some bars do it and some don't. And so... I did not for this one. But I could go either way. It depends on the mood. That's fair. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's just the mood for things. Like, you put one in there and then, like, use a little bit of the cherry syrup in your mix. And Makes it a little sweeter. I yeah. feel like old-fashions can be... Yeah, there there's some variants there. I used to think, oh, they probably all taste the same, but really, if some can be quite sweet, some can be much stronger on the the alcohol front, like the burn of the whiskey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it does depend on the kind of whiskey you get in there. And I think too, yeah, if you're using a lot of simple syrup, or you're also throwing some cherry juice in there, or however you're kind of putting that together, makes a difference. I don't think I have a preference on either one, though. I like, like all of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of um, recipes out there, like historical ones that talk, like talk about how the, like the original, original fashion was made, and like that can get with like fruits and stuff like that or cherries and orange and all these kind of things and what you muddle and what you don't muddle, but really mm-hmm. it's like. It's a pretty simple drink at the end of the day, and it's just like, you know, you can add stuff, what you want, what you don't want, 
you know, if you feel like you don't want orange, because we used orange peel in the garnish, like if you want more of like a lemony taste, you can add some lemon in there and and it would be just fine. So th this is like a, it's a really nice drink because then you can just like make it whatever you want because then you could sub out <clears throat> uh, simple syrup for like maple syrup and you can have a maple mm. bourbon sour or maple bourbon old fashioned. Which is, which is very delicious. I would highly recommend it as a fall drink. Um, but then, yeah, like you can sub out your garnishes. You can, like we have Angostura bitters. Like you can, uh, Angostura bitters and then also uh, orange bitters. And so you can kind of play around with bitters to give it different flavor profiles. And then your whiskeys are going to give it flavor profiles too. Because we're using bullet uh, bourbon for this. And so... That's a little bit stronger of a flavor. If you go with a bourbon like Angel's Envy, that's a sweeter flavor. So it just kind of depends on what you like and what you want in there. Mm -hmm. Nice thing about this, too, is you can uh, you can batch them. So you can just, like, make a big old batch of... There's... Yeah, you can do them on tap. I've seen places yeah. have yeah old fashions on tap, which I thought was weird. That is kind of weird. There's a, a journeyman distillery... You can buy it by the barrel. Mm. I don't know if it literally comes in a barrel, but it serves like 200 people and it's like $2,000. But oh my lord. It but yeah. it comes with... Um, comes with a bunch of glasses and it comes oh, with... Oh, glassware. Yeah, and it comes with like a container of cherries and like it comes with all like the fixings with it. So like you get everything. And it serves 200 people. So if you pay for an open bar at an event, you're at probably or... at a wedding or something like that or a reunion. Uh, you're probably going to pay that much in an open bar. So yeah. $2,000 to serve 200 people. Yeah, I guess old fashioned. it's... It's It's comparable. Yeah. Kind of small, small potatoes. But they literally have that on the menu, though. If you go to Journeyman Distillery, mm. it's hilarious. I'll have <laughs> yeah. to check that out, because Journeyman's is in Michigan. Uh, Three Oaks, Michigan. Three Oaks, Michigan. So it's only an hour? Yeah, it's an hour away from where we're at. Yeah. From where we're at, yeah. Mm. I've never been, but I, I always wanted to go. I do have a... It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, you can do a full tour for, like, $25, and you get to yeah. taste, like... A dozen whiskeys, so either have a DD or like plan on eating dinner before you drive home because yeah. gonna spend some time before you're ready to hit the road again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have the equivalent of like four ounces of liquor when it's all said. It's a lot. So yeah, yeah it's a fair bit. They yeah. are very. I've I've noticed that with distilleries and dispensaries and all of those places, anywhere you're gonna take a tour, they're very generous with. Yeah, they're tasty. They want you to buy yeah, buy their product, mm -hmm. and you know, anytime we're at a winery or a distillery, chances are we are going to buy at least one bottle. Yeah, of wine or a bottle of bourbon or mm -hmm. whatever. Well, if you're twelve half ounce shots deep, you know you're. <laughs> <laughs> you're like motivated to yeah. <laughs> make a purchase like that probably yeah your yeah. inhibitions have been lowered you're like you know what yeah i'm gonna buy uh the two glass the two shot glasses and the bottle of bourbon and, and then you get home and you get on the website much. while you're silly and you're like you know what i could do three more of those yeah. let's just add these to my cart <laughs> well they'll ship them here yeah so they they know they know what they're doing oh, yeah. oh my gosh that's funny 
Okay, so going back to reunions, I'm curious, have either of you gone to a class reunion? Nope. No? I have. So I went to my five-year? No, ten-year. I went to my ten-year high school reunion in Greentown, Indiana. Mm -hmm. It was not that great. Um, (laughs) It was nice. So I did see friends that I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and actually, we had one of the foreign exchange students. Uh, that cool. I, I played doubles tennis with her in high school, my senior year. And she traveled to Greentown, Indiana from Switzerland. Oh, my goodness. With her fiancé. And I'm like, Susanna, like, what? Like, this is amazing that you're here right now. Um, so that was probably the highlight because... The other friends from high school, it's like I, I kept in in touch with pretty, like, well frequently, like frequently, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had seen them several times since graduating, mm-hmm. but um, seeing Susanna from she, originally she was from Berlin. That's um, so. That's very fun. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was great seeing her. That was definitely the highlight of that reunion, and then my ten year college reunion unfortunately was 2020 so it was virtual and so I was on a zoom call with several of my classmates which it was nice seeing them and talking you know just catching up Mm -hmm. but I'm really sad because I don't think the next one will be until like 2030 which I'm like oh gosh that sounds far away right like in person And so it's it's pretty bittersweet the mm. 2020 reunion. Have you been to any reunions? I'm not. No. I mean, I so in high school, I was our class president and so it is up to me mm-hmm. to plan and organize the class reunions. Yep. <laughs> so you um, not done that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I did try. I tried to plan. I did do, like, a poll in our class Facebook group and was like, hey, do you guys want a five-year reunion, basically? Because I think they're silly. I don't think... Because most of us either are still kind of starting our career. Some people are still in school at that point. So it it feels like a weird time to bring people back together. Yeah, we didn't do a five-year yeah and we ended up not doing one the goal was to do one but I didn't want to have some dinky class reunion that was in like a warehouse somewhere or like a 4-H building so I was like okay I found this cool like kind of a a pub bar place but I was family friendly and so they had an upstairs that's like an events center kind of thing and a bar and you could select your order orders and all this stuff but there was a deposit that you had to make it was like eight hundred dollars so it was expensive and our school does not give you like money for your reunions it's just out of pocket but i was like okay well if we charge tickets it'll be this much per person if you know a month before the reunion we have these people committed and they send you money and whatever then we'll be good to go we ended up with like five people who sent me money and um, all these other people said they were coming, but it was like, I, at the time, I had just graduated college. Like, I didn't have any <laughs> money at all. And and I had gotten a job, but it was, like, paying me nothing. And so I thought, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to swing this. So 
I ended up having to cancel. I felt really bad. I didn't even make it home because I was like, well, you guys should still get together and, like, do a potluck or something at this park and hang out. And everybody was like, can I bring my kids? And I was like, I guess if you really want to bring your kids to a class reunion, we can find something family friendly. But that's not really the... I mean, my mom never brought me to her class reunions. I just... I don't know. I just yeah. thought that was an interesting thing that people were found important so yeah I think we did mine at like the Lions Club in Greentown and I think I paid like $25 mm -hmm. yeah I think that's pretty normal because ideally you would have like things you could raffle off or goodie bags or something fun for people we but we had like a photo wall and I think that was it <laughs> well it's so hard to plan <laughs> when I graduated now almost 10 years ago, I did not think, oh, I'm going to be living six hours away and trying right. to plan something mm -hmm. for this area and try to make it so that everybody can come to it so it's convenient because they're all spread out. It's just like, totally. it's so hard to plan an event when you're not like physically at that location. It'd be great to plan one here in Goshen. Be like, hey, everybody, <laughs> you you're come coming to me. me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, got a, I got a great place, and uh, everyone's mm -hmm. invited. Mm -hmm. um, this past August, I actually went to my grandma's class reunion. Uh, she celebrated, I think, oh, no, now I don't remember. It was like her, was oh. 65th? Yeah, like 65th high school reunion. 65th, oh my gosh. And we were in, a, so it was me and my aunt and then my grandma, and it was out in West Virginia. And we went to this reunion, and it was just a room full of, like, octogenarians. And it was, um, it was amazing. They were very rowdy, mm. and it was a full meal catered, and you got pie at the end. And I had, like, a meringue mm. pie that was, like... 10 inches tall <laughs> that's awesome yeah it was it was pretty fun so and they had like photos from their previous reunions mm -hmm. that's really cool what a fun yeah I think that that makes it more fun right when you haven't seen each other in a long time you have lots to talk about because people change so much oh I mean yeah. but those first five years it's you're more or less the same <laughs> Kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't know. And, and like you said, the people that you are seeing, that you are friends with, like truly friends and stayed in contact with, you've probably seen them within the last five years. Hopefully. Oh, for hopefully sure. Hopefully you have. Yeah. Because I have, for sure. You, oh, know, yeah. you make a point to spend time with those people, so then mm -hmm. everybody else is... It's not that you don't want to see them or you aren't excited to see how they're doing, but my excitement is not quite as high of a threshold for them, <laughs> yeah. truthfully. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I see what you're doing on Facebook. I That's how I keep up. And that's the thing now with social media. Mm -hmm. Like, you can kind of sort of stay in t touch with people way more easier than, like, someone like my grandma who graduated in, like, 1957 or 58, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing because you post about it constantly on Facebook. Like, I feel like I don't need to... <laughs> I don't need to go to my five-year reunion to, like, catch up with people because I pretty much more or less know what everyone's up to. 
yeah, it's just an opportunity for everybody to get drunk together. That's really what the five-year is, is just, yeah, being young and silly and dumb, except for all the people that want to bring their newborn babies. Not trying to shut you guys down, but that is so stupid. Don't bring a newborn to a class reunion. I just, just either don't come or get a babysitter. Sorry, but that's not how I want to, I don't want, I don't want kids running around me when I'm trying to visit with people and then they're distracted and they're not having fun and you're distracted and you're like, cute kid, saw him on Facebook, why'd you bring him? So if you want to classy up your (laughs) class reunion or just any reunion in general, you should make it old-fashioned. And apparently don't bring your kids. (laughs) So to make your old-fashioned, you're going to need two ounces of any bourbon uh, or rye whiskey. Um, Traditionally, it's rye whiskey. We use bourbon for this. So it's really like any two ounces of liquor that you want. Um, A about two to three dashes of Angostura bitters. Uh, for this, we used a couple, two to three dashes of orange bitters as well, just to give it a little extra flavor. Um, you can do a quarter ounce of simple syrup, and we'll, we'll put that in the recipe. But if you like it, it, it tends to be on the sweeter side, so if you like it less sweet, don't put as much simple syrup. And then uh, to make it, you put everything together, you put it over ice, and you stir it up until the ice is, uh, or until your glass is cold. And then you garnish it with a cherry, or you garnish it with uh, orange peel uh, to give it a little bit extra orange flavor. Uh, so yeah, very simple drink, very easy to make. Uh, makes you look super classy, and makes you look super sophisticated. So uh, highly recommend that. And uh, yeah, and then you can also batch it. Uh, so if you ever want to learn how to batch it, you go online and uh, they have like a million recipes online. There's even like a couple of channels uh, on social media that teach you how to do it just in the bottle too, which is actually kind of fun. So yeah, drink up and have fun at your reunions. Cheers. 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 So the going home movie I chose is Gross Point Blank, and the main character, Martin Blank, he's a professional assassin. He's a freelance hitman, and he starts to have a sort of crisis of identity, which causes him to completely botch a couple of normal assignments that he's on. So he's hired to kill people. And... For some reason, he has a secretary who manages his jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or get, he, she gives him his assignments. Under the guise of a paper company or yeah, something? Yeah, some sort of cover company. Uh-huh. It's yeah. like a, a typical, what is it, like um, outside of a private detective's. Or, P, uh, like, a P.I. door, you know, and it has, like, the letters on the window that that's, like, all foggy, glassy-looking, and it says, like, something, I think it's something like some paper sort of like or whatever. finance or mortgage or something really boring. Yeah, nobody's asking questions. Yeah, exactly. And so his secretary and his psychiatrist, because he does go to therapy, uh, they both tell him he should attend his 10-year high school reunion in Gross Point, Michigan. Which is a real place. It's a, it's a suburb of Detroit. Um, and coincidentally, 
he also has a target in that Detroit area. Mm-hmm. So Martin Blank, professional assassin, decides to attend his 10-year high school reunion and also take this assignment to 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 kill someone or assassinate someone in, in his hometown. Which is important that we also say that the... The therapist is, like, not on board with the killing the person part. He's like, hey, maybe take a break. <laughs> Just yes. go to your reunion. Yes. The psychiatrist mm-hmm. is very much like, I actually don't want you as a client. Like, we did several sessions before you informed me that you're a professional killer. And now I have a, comp- like, I have a professional uh ethical pickle that I'm in because Mm -hmm. I don't want you as a client anymore because obviously I do not condone killing people. (laughs) Well, it's like, A, he has to report him if he thinks he's going to harm others or himself. And B, he's also afraid of him, which he says right off the bat. He's like, I am afraid that if I say something wrong, you're going to hurt me. And like, (laughs) they have this whole conversation and he does say, uh, well, I know where you live. And the therapist is like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, this is, you can't threaten me like that. He's like, I'm not, I'm just joking. Clearly I'm joking. He's like, you're not joking. You said it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole dynamic between him and his psychiatrist and his secretary. And they're encouraging him to go on, go to his reunion. And he's kind of facing this crisis of identity. So, he does go home to Gross Point, and he, of course, runs into old old friends who are pretty shocked to see him because he apparently dropped off the face of the planet. And he makes up a bunch of stories to explain, you know, where he's been, why he kind of lost touch. And occasionally, he he does. He just tells them straight, and he says, I'm a professional killer, which, of course... They take it as a joke, like, oh, ha, 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 that's, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blank, while home, tries to visit his uh, childhood home where he grew up. And to his dismay, his childhood home has been demolished and turned into a convenience store. It's like the Ultimart. Yeah, something like that, which is so funny. At first, when he shows up, too, he, like, pulls up in his car, and I cannot figure out why he's so pissed off. I'm like, what is going on? Because he kind of, like, he pulls up, and he's like, you've got it. Like, he's clearly fuming, and he, like, walks inside. He starts walking around the store and looking at shit, and then he, like, looks at the clerk, and I'm thinking, did he used to work here? Like, is that... That's his old job, and he's, like, mad that this child is now working behind the counter. I don't get it. And then then you realize, no, that's where his house used to be. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because it's surrounded by other, like, residential homes, too. So it truly does feel like, yeah, someone tore down a house and put a mini-mart here. Right, exactly. So he, he's not happy to see <laughs> that uh, his childhood home has been demolished and then turned into a convenience store. Um, and... Also, while he's visiting home, he decides to see an old flame. So, Debbie Newberry, uh, whom we find out he stood up at prom. Which is also the night he disappeared. Which is when he Mm -hmm. disappeared, and and so that's why everyone's like, what happened to you? Like, where did you go? We just, you just left and we never saw you. And it's like 10 years later. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so Debbie Newberry is a radio host, and uh, Blank presumptuously shows up while she's working, and she immediately puts him on air. You know, she's a radio host. Puts him on blast, calls him out for all the shit that he did, and even asks her listeners to call in to voice their opinions about him, which I thought was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It definitely... The meeting was weird because they share this awkward greeting, a passionate kiss, and then she puts him on fire on the radio. It's a kind of a weird yeah, transition. It's like a very awkward thing to watch happen. she's conflicted. She's shocked. She's like, oh my goodness, this person just walked back into my life. Like, what do I do? Well, when he drives into town, he like goes up to, he's listening to her on the radio, drives past the window, and kind of like, just like stops in front of her window and looks in. And she's on the air looking at him. She goes, welcome back to town. She say Martin or Blank or I don't think she recognized him because he was wearing like a hat and sunglasses, and like I think maybe she was like, wait, because she was talking about the reunion. She was like, oh yeah, like yeah, maybe that was the Grosse Point ten year reunions this weekend. Like welcome back to town, and yeah, he's like looking at her from his car, which. I don't know how many radio stations have, like, blinds. A huge window that looks right in the... (laughs) Yeah, it was really weird. (laughs) I didn't like that. So, so he's having these reunions with people that he hasn't seen for a really long time. And meanwhile, he can't run from his past and his chosen occupation because... Hot on his trail are a couple of federal agents, Mm -hmm. another assassin who wants to kill him, and a rival hitman who wants him to join an assassin's union. So I don't want to give too much away, um, but I will say that, you know, Martin Blank has his work cut out for him because he's navigating the complexities of going home attending his 10-year school reunion, and reconsidering his profession. So this is Gross Point Blank. It was released in 1997. It's a dark comedy directed by George Armitage and written by Tom Jankowitz. It stars John Cusack as the title character Martin Blank, uh, Minnie Driver, she plays Debbie Newberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Arkin plays the psychiatrist. Uh, Dan Aykroyd <laughs> plays the uh, kind of the rival hitman who wants the to start. The unionizing hitman. Yeah, yeah, he wants to start his own union. And then Joan Cusack, which is John Cusack's sister, um, she plays the secretary. And Joan Cusack's like one of my favorite actresses. Oh my god, I didn't know that they were siblings. Yeah. I've never known. Okay, so when she showed up in this, because immediately I didn't recognize her. I recognized her voice because she's much younger here than what I've typically seen her in. They also have her kind of, I don't know, that 90s uh, office wear is just super unflattering and weird and bulky. Like, I don't know. I just didn't recognize her at first, but I heard her voice and I was like, Oh my god, that's Joan Cusack. And I feel like of all the actors that we 
have chosen films where people are featured in them. Joan Cusack has been in a lot of them, like more than anybody else has. Like we have some variety, but Joan Cusack has like consistently showed up in different films. I was gonna say Hank Azaria because Hank Azaria plays one of the federal agents, and he was in Now and Then, uh, Mystery Men. Oh shoot, you're right. Hank this, Azaria has shown up a lot. And Birdcage. Oh my god, I forgot. So that's like four movies, I think. His character in Birdcage is probably my favorite that he has ever done. Like, I love it is just, him in Birdcage. I've never, yeah, been more to, more attracted to a man in my life. But yeah, um, Joan Cusack's great. She's like a national treasure, in my opinion. Hysterical. Yeah, so John and Joan Cusack are siblings. She's great. Though. Killed it. Killed I it. I um, love when she's like. There comes up a, a point when she's kind of. She's pouring gasoline all over the office, and that was wonderful to me. I yeah. really appreciated that moment with her. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. She she plays a really great, like, supporting character in this movie, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, there were a lot of... I thought the casting for this was awesome. I loved all the characters. I really... It, this movie makes me feel uncomfortable. I know I've seen it before, but I think I may have, like, blocked it out or something. And I don't know if it's partially, like, this weird 90s approach that it takes. I don't know. Yeah, like, part of me feels like maybe it was the era that was hitting me in a weird way. But every person that John Cusack is interacting with, it's, like, super weird. Like, his friend that sells real estate that he reconvenes with... They're in this car, and he's like, 10 years, 10 years. And he just keeps shouting 10 years. Yes. And it's like this weird... It's Jeremy Piven, which I don't I don't personally like Jeremy Piven, but I did enjoy the classic, like, they're in a car, and Jeremy Piven's driving. And, yeah, he's exclaiming, like, how have I not, like, where did you go? What happened to you? Like, you just disappear, and then you come back, and it's like, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, he's... But he doesn't say all those words. He just starts screaming 10 years. And I'm just like, I need you to be not doing this right now. But also he's driving a car and it's it's the classic, like, he's not looking. Not looking at the road. He's not looking at the road, like, Mm -hmm. at all. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate that whole scene. It's so uncomfortable to watch. It makes me nervous for them. Ooh, and I hate Martin Blank's character and the way that he is with Debbie is just so gross. Like, I like her approach to it in her responses, and I feel like them together, it works. But the things that he does, the the words that he says are just so self-involved the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, I find him to be a very selfish, nearsighted character, and... I think Debbie counteracts it and she kind of pushes back against it, which is, you know, good and needed and whatever. But ugh, it just, he bugs me. <laughs> like, I don't like this guy the whole time. I just don't like him. Mm. I wish he was like a, this is probably going to sound weird, but like a killer that I jived with. You know, like the Dexter complex where it's like, okay, yeah, he murders people, but also I kind of get him, you know. This guy, I'm just like, I don't, 
I find nothing terribly redeemable about you. I don't I don't really jive with you that much. And I think they do try to go that way because he does say several times he's trying to, like, he he's developing a conscience, but I think he's still trying to, to reckon with or justify, like, rationalize what he does because he's like, mm. you know, turns out that this is what I'm good at. Like, he kind of, like, quote-unquote found his calling, which he knows is, like, reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tries to rationalize it by saying, like, if if I'm at your doorway, chances are you did something to deserve it. Or, like, I'm there for a reason. Right. Because, obviously, he's a hitman. Mm-hmm. He's a hired killer. He's a professional assassin. So he is trying to rationalize it in his own way. And, you know, when he comes home for his reunion, it's like he has to reckon with all that because he's running into people that, like, his classmates and, like, some of his family members that's just like, yeah, what the hell happened? Like, Mm -hmm. what have you been doing the last 10 years? Mm -hmm. And you can't say anything because it's like the truth is like, well, I've been killing people (laughs) for money. Yeah. You know? I guess... I also, I found myself comparing this to um, a show called Barry that's on HBO. Oh, that's with, um, oh, what's his name? Um, yes. Oh, shoot. Uh, it is Bill Hader. Bill Hader. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I, I've heard of it, and I love Bill Hader. It is so much. really good. I don't know if you would like it or not, actually, but oh. it is, because it's okay. pretty dark. It's a it's really, really dark, um, and in a very heavy kind of way at times, but it's also really funny, so it's, yeah, it's kind of confusing, but Bill Hader is not terribly funny. He's mostly just dark. Yeah. But he plays a very similar character. He's killing people. He's a hitman. He does this for a living. These are usually bad people. But his character is so much more complex. And, yeah, the way that they approach it, I just, I value that more than the way they do it in this movie. And I think... And they're decades apart. Right? Yeah, I, again, Audiences it's like they're so far apart. Yeah, yeah it just... It, and this one, there are kitschy moments where it's like the you, the guy who wants to unionize assassins. Like, clearly that's just totally ridiculous. And it's Dan Aykroyd, too. Which I'm sorry, Dan Aykroyd is... Oh my gosh, he's so silly. He's like, always a character. He, yeah. His... Like, I've never seen him play something or someone, like a character grounded in reality. Never. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. always super over the top. Yes. Cuckoo. Yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess to that point, I thought it was really interesting because the director, uh, so George Armitage was the director, uh, said that they basically shot three different movies during production. Hmm. So, for each scene, they would shoot three different, essentially three different takes. So, one that stuck to the script one that was, quote, mildly understated, and then one that com- went completely over the top, like, oh. in terms of, like, improv and energy. 
and it was usually the third version that got used. And I thought that was really interesting because it is an over-the-top comedy. It's like yeah. these, like, things like this wouldn't, like, it's not grounded in reality. No. And I thought that was really interesting because, so, in one version of the scene where Martin walks into Debbie's radio booth for the first time, Minnie Driver, who's the actress who plays Debbie, decided to let her character just put all the cards on the table and just kiss John Cusack. And so this was kind of like an improvised, over-the-top version of that scene. Mm-hmm. And then it was very unexpected, completely out of the blue, and then they just went with it. It was just kind of like, yeah, let's just keep going with it. Like, they just, I think they kept trying to, like, up the ante with, like, what Every would time. what would you do in this situation? Somebody that you haven't seen in 10 years stood you up on prom night, suddenly walks into your place of work. Like, what would you do? And I think they just played with that, you know? That's and, so interesting. And, you know, would you kiss that person on the mouth? No, probably, probably not. I don't think I would. But, like, in this, like, gross point blank movie scenario, it's just kind of like taking things to that kind of, like... Yeah, it's like, what would you want to do versus what would you do versus what's the opposite of what you would do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting because I'm like, oh, yeah, like, if I made a movie, like, I think that would actually be really fun. Like, let's do something by the script. Let's improv something. And then let's let's take it to that next kind of, like, next level. Yeah. Huh. Which, I don't know. I think it's it's a fun thought experiment. It is. I mean, if you're trying to make a comedy, especially, I think that... And, like, a dark comedy. Right. Because it is pretty dark. Yeah. Well, yeah. The premise is yeah. <laughs> dark. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. I didn't realize that. Hmm. So, uh, originally, they wanted to shoot the high school scenes at Gross Point uh, High School. So, mm-hmm. Gross Point is a real place in, in the state of Michigan. It's a suburb of Detroit. But, apparently, they couldn't get permission from the school board, which I thought was interesting. So, they felt that it would be inappropriate to show someone graduating from Gross Point school system to become a hitman. <laughs> and also, <laughs> the presence of alcohol during the reunion scene. So, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. I was like, that's awesome. Okay. Interesting. They're like, like, no, we we, we actually find this really inappropriate, and no, we don't. So I think most of it was, like, filmed out in California. I I would believe it. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting that those were the qualms. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So something else that was interesting about this movie is that the screenwriter, Tom Jankowitz, wrote the script for Gross Point Blank in 1991 after receiving an invitation to his own 10th high school reunion. (laughs) And he based several of the film's characters on his real-life friends. That's awesome. I thought that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. I did notice that the friends didn't fit, like, typical stereotypes or, like, the people he was running into, which I really liked, actually. They were kind of weird characters but it wasn't like oh here's the washed up jock and here's the mom who's an alcoholic and here's the you know like 
kind of these stereotypical, like, ha, 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 let's poke fun of these miserable people, you know, kind of characters. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I really like about this movie is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the soundtrack is really fun. Agreed. And yeah. interestingly, the film's score was composed by Joe Strummer, former member of The Clash. And the soundtrack features several kind of popular alt-rock, ska, new wave songs from the 90s. So, you know, featuring the Pixies and AHA, the Jam, and the Violent Femmes. So it's got a really great soundtrack. There's also a Clash poster in Debbie's bedroom, Mm -hmm. which that's a fun tie-in, I think. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a fun... it definitely makes the movie, it, it gives it kind of a time and a place. Mm-hmm. You know it's the 90s. Right. Like, 100%. And he even has that, so, uh, Debbie has a radio show, and she's fully like, oh, like you might know, this weekend is Gross Points, you know, class of whatever, 10-year high school reunion, so all weekend we're going to be playing you know, 80s hits to, you know, commemorate this. Because 10 years, obviously, they would have graduated in 1987. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of, like, fun. Like, it definitely gives the movie, like, a very specific setting. Yeah, I I will say that is probably my favorite part of the film is the way that they kind of build the setting. Because even, like, every space that they're in feels very authentic the the costuming the way the high school is the way the like easy mart place is just all of it feels the the cars that they're driving that they keep pointing out the way that they walk even like it just it's very yeah very authentic in the way that they perform all of that which I like and I think it was shot you know, it's set in present day and shot in present day. So this movie is set in 1997. It came out in 1997. So it's not like, oh, they had to go find, like, cars and fashion that was popular in 97. Like, it feels authentic because it is authentic. Like, <laughs> but I feel like they they did it up quite a bit, though, too. Yeah. Like, you know, they you have all these guys in suits. Like, you know it's set like, in, like... They don't wear suits every day. You suburban know, like, Detroit, though. Like, uh, I guess, oh, I, I guess that's true. I think so. Yeah. Like, so interestingly, this movie came out the same year as Rami and Michelle's high school reunion. Like, I think it came oh. out the same summer. And because this movie was really successful in the box office. And yeah. I, and I think so was Rami and Michelle's high school reunion. So I kind of mm-hmm. like how in 1997, you had these two high school reunion, like, set films that came out that were, like, really popular and successful yeah that's kind of odd timing mm-hmm. i don't I, know it's i a, think they de- technically were both disney because this was bonavista pictures which is owned by disney <gasps> and i think it was another studio that was owned by disney that came out with rami and michelle's high school reunion so it's kind of which, like interesting I'm not timing seeing that one actually maybe got lisa goudreau in it yeah. um i think i've seen it once or twice Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with that, but this has been a movie that 
it's just like the title, like everybody knows it kind of, you know? And I wonder too, if it's, I feel like this is one of those that plays on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my, yeah, it could be misremembering that, but anytime there was like a, a late night movie channel that was on, it's like this would come up a lot on there, which is kind of interesting. I don't know why, but yeah. Good pick. Yeah, so that's Gross Point Blank. It's mm-hmm. definitely like a quintessential like going home type movie, I think. Yeah, very silly, very much uh, dealing with all those aspects of coming home, lost love, family, etc., etc. So, yeah, no, I, I liked watching this. It was good to see it again. It's been a really, really long time since I watched it. So for my going home pick... I chose Death at a Funeral, the 2007 version. There's also a 2010 remake that was done. So as the name suggests, we begin our story at a funeral. Daniel's father, Daniel is our main character, um, has just passed away. Daniel lives in a quiet home with his wife, Jane. They live in his parents' home, so they're there with his mother, who is currently grieving also, and it's evident from the very beginning that Jane wants out of this house because as we see the home being set up and they're getting ready for this funeral, Jane's like, have you called the people at the flat? Have you put the deposit down? Let's GTFO, right? And he's like, I haven't done this yet. And at first you're thinking, oh my gosh, his dad just died. Like, chill out, lady. And then you get why, you know, there's some clearly uncomfortable, um, there's an uncomfortable relationship with Daniel's parents happening, especially with Jane. Like, that's no fun living with your partner's parents, and then the parents are kind of, like, crappy towards you, right? So, kind of awkward. Daniel has been dragging his feet to make the decision to move. Well, finally, the time has come after the funeral, they're going to leave. They're going to put the deposit down, get out of that house, if we ever make it past the funeral. Because in classic British film theme, I guess, if you will, we have 15 different subplots happening throughout this entire film. So we've got an ensemble cast, which is fantastic like casting 10 out of 10 for this film and each story begins as our funeral attendees are sort of leaving their homes and headed towards the house of Daniel where they are hosting the funeral which is interesting I don't know if that's like a like a British thing but I in the U.S. I have never been to a funeral where the casket would be in someone's actual home yeah and you would do the viewing a, there. like a funeral home so i don't know if it's like a british thing where it's like the wake gets hosted at someone's house or what but yeah, yeah i have no idea because usually you you would do the i literally almost called it an after party but <laughs> it's not an after party oh the what reception of the funeral i don't know the yeah. The gathering. Yeah. That happens after the funeral would typically. Yeah, usually you have a viewing and then you have the funeral and then. 
You, yeah, and then the burial. The burial. And then, and then there's, like, a you yeah, like place after, where there's food. Yeah. It's like an after party. Yeah, like an after party, yeah. It sounds like a weird... Yeah, an after-funeral party. Yeah. I guess so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if somebody out there knows what that's called, let me know, because I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, so that's what I'm used to. But here, they bring the casket to the home. They have it set up in the living room. They've got all the chairs set up, so they're going to do the full wake there they have the pastor that shows up but from the get-go things are not going well so the undertakers show up with the casket they open it up it's not the guy (laughs) it's not daniel's father it's it's some some other old white man yeah and he's like that's that's not him. Yeah, he's like, who's this? Who's and, this person? And everyone's just like, what do you mean, who's this? And he's like, that's not my father. So they have to close it back out. They're like, I'm so sorry. And so these men carry the casket back out, have to drive back to the funeral home and or whatever um, and grab, grab the other body and bring it in, which also made me wonder. I was like, oh, my gosh, for a funeral, you have to prep the body like you have to do makeup and put on the clothes and everything so like did they have to drive back did they dress up the wrong man for the wrong day (laughs) and then have to redo all of that i don't know maybe it's kind of morbid but i don't know they don't just like come ready they're not like no that's true they're not hot and ready this isn't little caesars (laughs) like they they have there's preparations that have to be done for this kind of thing. So. But they do a whole thing where they bring the, the other casket, and then they're like, please confirm that this is... The <laughs> they r- make a check. Yeah. They're like, is is this your father? Yeah. And they're all like, oh, thank God. No, well, oh, no, they're like, they're like, thank Christ. <laughs> oh, yes, they say thank Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So wonderful. So from the get-go, there's a little bit of chaos you know, they get started. Well, then all of these people are coming into the house. So you have cousins and siblings and uncles and yada, 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 yada. So you get these great snippets of conversation throughout that are kind of telling. You don't really understand why they're telling at the beginning, but you're like, these are really, it's just quirky, just very quirky. So we have these different dynamics that are going on. One of my favorites is with Martha. Martha is the cousin of Daniel, and she goes uh, to pick up her brother, Troy. So Troy is, quote-unquote, studying to be a pharmacist. So he has all these pills and bottles all over his apartment. And Simon, Martha's fiancé, comes with her to go and pick up her brother, Troy. They get to Troy's apartment. He's like, give me a second. I'll get ready. Troy is clearly just doing drugs. Like, we all, we all know. We yeah. all know. Yeah. Troy goes to get ready. Simon is super nervous because the family does not like him. They have had some weird animosity. Nothing has gone well for their relationship thus far. And now they're supposed to get married. So it's kind of a big deal. So Martha's like, you know what? Here, let me see what Troy has. Here's some Xanax. If you take this Xanax, or wait, Valium, Valium sorry. Yeah. Here's some Valium. Yeah. 
take a Valium. It's not going to be a big deal. It'll help you relax, and then you can have an enjoyable time. Because on the car ride over to pick up Troy, this car pulls out in front of them, and Simon has a meltdown. Martha loses her absolute shit and is, like, cussing at them through the window. So there's a very different dynamic between the two of them, and I, I love that. Yeah. So Simon takes... The, the volume. volume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is an important part. Simon takes the Valium. Don't take the Valium. So they get in the car. They are driving out to the funeral. It's kind of this house out in the country. And Simon is like, did you guys see that? They're like, what? They're like, did you see that dog? <laughs> in the car. Yeah. He's sitting in the front seat looking down at his feet. And they're like, no. <laughs> and Martha's like, what is going on? First indication that something weird is happening with them. Okay. So they're on their way to the funeral. Then cut to Howard. We love Howard. Howard is another cousin, I think. Um, I think he's just a friend. Just oh, a friend. is he just a friend? Yeah, he's just a friend of the family. Wow. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. He has a rough go of it. Howard, I put in my notes, kind of the village idiot and unfortunately often overlooked. He's just a nice guy, I think, that's trying to help. <laughs> he is <laughs> nice. <laughs> and he's not stupid. He just doesn't often do the right things for the given situation. Yeah. So it's... And it's not, it's more than awkward because he's so kind about it that it's like mm-hmm. an intentional action that is just so incredibly off the mark. You wonder why it's happening. It's the classic, like, British nice. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So we were talking about this a second ago, but Howard, in his car, on his way to the funeral with his friend Justin, gets a phone call from Daniel. Daniel's like, hey, uh, did you remember to pick up, or do you mind picking up Uncle Alfie? I totally forgot about this. Would you mind? Yada, yada, yada. He's so nice on the phone. Howard's like, absolutely, no problem. I'll pick up Uncle Alfie. Not a big deal. Hangs up the phone, and he's like, oh, fuck. And he, like, rips the car off the (laughs) interstate and goes to pick up Uncle Alfie at this retirement community. And they pull up, and there's this gaggle of old women who are, you know, utilize, what are they, walkers. Yeah, they have walkers, like, slowly kind of trotting in front of the car. So they're going to be late. So they're kind of stressing out about this. Everybody is, like, running behind for the funeral, classically. So they pick up Uncle Alfie, who is your typical crotchety old man. Yeah. Very much a pain in everyone's arse. <laughs> if you will, and he's in the backseat of their car. And he's in a, he's wheelchair-bound. That's very important also. So getting him around is not, like, an easy task here. So finally, we have Justin, Howard, <laughs> Uncle Alfie, all in the car. They are on their way. Meanwhile, Daniel is still getting things set up for the funeral. The pastor shows up. Pastor, or sorry, Reverend, Reverend Davis is only supposed to be there until 3 o'clock. And make sure that Daniel knows 
he's only supposed to be there until 3 p.m. So he's really trying to keep this thing on track. And throughout the entire movie, that is like his whole goal and purpose is to get this thing done and over with. He's ready. He's prepared. He's like, let's get this shiznit going. But last to arrive is, of course, Howard with Uncle Uncle Alfie. And Daniel's like, well, shit, I just made him go and pick this old man up. They're going to be a little bit like, let's just wait. And the funeral's delayed. Well, it's delayed even further when Daniel's father's friend, Peter, shows up. Played by Peter Dinklage, which I love. So Peter comes up to Daniel and is like, oh, did, you know, your father talked a lot about you. And he's thinking, man, I have no idea who this guy is. And he keeps asking everybody, like, do you recognize this man? And then Peter comes up to him and talks to him. And he's like, I... Did you work with my father? Were you friends? And he's like, oh, no, we were we were just friends. He's like, did your dad, you know, ever mention me? And keeps kind of prodding. And he's like, no, no, he didn't. And that clearly kind of hurts Peter's feelings. But then Daniel's like, why is this man talking to me? And just kind of gets up and walks away. So we've got some weird dynamics happening mm-hmm. here. Also, in the car of Howard is Justin, which we mentioned earlier, who is in love with Martha, who is now babysitting Simon, the fiancé, who has taken Valium, who unknowingly has actually taken a hallucinogenic from Troy, who is Martha's brother. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of family dynamics. So I feel like it's important to describe all of these different subplots that are happening all at the same time. And then also, we have the brother, who is Robert, I think? Yeah, brother of Daniel, Robert, who is like star child. He's a writer, he moved to New York, everybody loves him, he comes back. And the entire time (laughs) he's at this funeral... That everyone's like, oh, so you're delivering the eulogy today. And Robert's like, oh, no, like Daniel's actually doing it. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and like, very, like, a lot of backhanded compliments. And poor Daniel's like, okay, clearly no one wants me to do this eulogy. Although Daniel has been the one who has been living with his parents. He's been there the whole time. His brother ran off to New York to be a big-time author, and he's clearly got some financial problems. Everybody thinks he's, like, made it big and has all this money and yada, yada, yada. But he's supposed to split the funeral costs with Daniel, and Robert's like, "Mm, I don't have that money. I don't know what you wanted me to do about it. So there's a lot of issues going on here. I don't... It's so hard. I don't want to give too much away. So... I'll start with the beginning of the funeral. We finally have everyone in one place. And either everyone's really stressed or doesn't want to be there. Simon, the fiancé, is absolutely tripping balls. And he thinks the coffin is moving. He thinks someone is, like, in there, alive. And so Martha is, like, trying to calm him down. Everybody's kind of looking around, making a bit of a ruck ruckus while Reverend Davis is like reading part of the sermon or whatever that he's chosen he flips out and gets up 
and tries to open the coffin while everybody else gets up and tries to stop him from opening the coffin, and we end up with a corpse on the floor. (laughs) So clearly everyone's just, like, absolutely traumatized, devastated. They have to get the corpse back in the coffin, get it closed, lift it back up. So they take a recess and send everybody outside while they solve the issue that is happening. And meanwhile, there are all these hints that have been kind of laying before you. So again, our title is Death at a Funeral. So you're kind of like, hmm, is somebody going to die? We've got somebody that has a rash on their arm, and they don't know what it is or what's causing it. We have somebody who has a very clear vendetta, so they're kind of like out for revenge-ish. You've got somebody who is on hard, hard drugs. And you have Uncle Alfie, who is old as shit. So there are lots of options as to who potentially might die at this funeral. (laughs) So you wrap all that together and you have death at a funeral. That's the movie. I hope I gave you enough to make you interested in watching it and not too much as to feel like you heard the whole story, I guess. Um, Interestingly, the remake in 2010 that I mentioned was written by the same uh, guy. So I thought that was kind of a... I, I never saw the American version because I typically... I don't like the American version, <laughs> especially when it's, like, made very closely together. Yeah, it's like the original is this British version, which the story seems quintessentially British, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Very mm-hmm. kind of stiff upper, upper lip. Yes. You know, let's not let's not air our dirty laundry in front of everybody. Let's just keep things quiet and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the American version, which I've seen the American version, and it's I didn't like it as much as the original British version. I think it was written very British, mm. and some of that I don't think translates that as well. Probably not. I would assume that. The humor is just... It's, it's all-encompassing. It's like an all-or-nothing. It's dry. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? So you've seen both versions, I've so seen that's both. kind of interesting. Yeah, I've seen both. So what did you think went well in this movie? Um, so, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. It's definitely like a comedy of errors. It's mm. kind of a classic British ensemble. Uh, yeah, comedy of errors, which I... I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the brothers, the dynamic between the two are so great. And the mom, who's, the you know, a recently widowed woman, you know, she's despondent at times. But then whenever Robert comes, it's like her face lights up. It's mm-hmm. like it's very clear. That's like, oh, this is the star child. The, fi- the favorite. Yeah, the favorite. Mm-hmm. And then, but then meanwhile, you know, Daniel's the one who's made all the arrangements. He's paid for the funeral. He's been the one taking care of them and, you know, living and helping with his parents. And so that's kind of like, I don't know, I guess an interesting dynamic. And then Martha, I love Martha. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, she's just kind of this outspoken badass woman a bit of a ball buster yeah like that's the 
phrase that comes to mind when you yeah. think of her. Mm-hmm. And um, Simon, her uh, boyfriend, fiance, is Alan Tudyk. Yes. Which, he's hilarious. I love Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. Um, and him playing this character that, for most of the movie, is hallucinating. Like, tr- having a very, very bad trip. Um, and so I think that's just really impressive, like, from an acting standpoint with Alan Tudyk <laughs> just playing this character that's just tripping balls the entire time. Because, uh, yeah, it's like, like, did you guys see that dog? Like, I swear there's a dog in here. And everyone's like, what the hell? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then also, like, Uncle Alfie is really great. Because he's just this, like, curmudgeonly elderly man that's just going to, like, he's grouchy. Like, he's just going to, like, berate you. Yep. Um, and so that that whole dynamic's fun. It's been a really long time since I've seen the American version, and I've only seen it once. I've seen Death at a Funeral several times now. Um, I don't know who directed the American version, but Frank Oz directed the British version, and I love Frank Oz. Um... I think just creatively, mm-hmm. his direction and everything else, like he's just such an interesting kind of unique creator. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know who directed the American version, but it wasn't Frank Oz. Yeah, I'm not sure who did the American version either, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he, Frank Oz is really interesting too. He's done a bunch of voice acting, which I'll talk about, but I just, yeah, kind of surprised me a bit yeah have you other what other movies have you seen by Frank Oz or have you um that's a good question because I wasn't I didn't recognize any that I had actually seen but I will go through so I did want to highlight I wanted to kind of go through all the characters without naming the cast Mm. because I felt like it would get a little confusing but for sure gonna go ahead and go through so Daniel is our main character he's the son who lives with his parents and his wife is played by Matthew McFadden um who I've seen in quite a few things he's British so he's been on a lot of British film um Peter who is the uh kind of mysterious man who shows up claiming to be a friend of the father. It's played by Peter Dinklage, who is wonderful and who also is in the American version of the film. Ewan Bremner plays Justin, the guy who's kind of pining after our uh, cousin Martha. And Martha is played by Daisy Donovan, who I actually don't recognize from anything else, but I really did love her character. Um, Jane, our wife of Daniel, is played by Keely Hawes, and Matthew McFadden, Faden, Fadian, I don't know, and Keely Hawes are actually married in real life, so that's fun and cute. Andy Nyman, uh, plays Howard, who is really lovely. Alan Tudyk, as you mentioned, plays Simon. You know, Alan Tudyk is actually from Texas, so, oh, I didn't know that. He has a really wonderful British... Like, he really pulls off British acting and comedy very well for being an American actor. Because he was also in uh, Firefly. Night's Tale. Oh, oh. in the Night's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> but he Both plays a British guy in the Night's Tale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, but that one's so over the top, you know, like... 
Still, he does a good British yeah. accent. Yeah, I does. think he, he does. does. He's he's wonderful in it. <laughs> pain, lots of pain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Jane Asher plays our mother character. Character uh, Sandra. Chris Marshall plays Troy. Um, Rupert Graves plays Robert, who looks so different now. Like, he's he's one of those, like, kind of glow-up characters, because Robert, the writer, the brother in this film, like, has long, dark black hair, and just looks, yeah, he looks totally different than he does now. Um, Peter Vaughn plays Uncle Alfie, which is really fun, and then Peter Egan plays Victor, who is the uncle. Going back to Frank Oz, who directed this film, his... A voice actor who has done the voice of Yoda in video games. He's done the voice of Cookie Monster. He's done the voice of Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear. I think he may have done like a Burton Ernie or something. Like he's done so many character voices that I just had no idea. And a lot of those, he, they aren't like the original voice. It's like a, there's a movie. Because that's what he's credited for, is all these movies that he's done these voices for. Yeah, he did the original Yoda. He did the original Yoda? So Frank, okay! Okay, ah. so Frank Oz was Jim Henson's part, like, right-hand man, part, like, creative partner. Yeah, and worked with George Lucas. Yeah, I am so, I'm done. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank Oz mm-hmm. is, like, up there. Like, in terms of just creative genius, like, he is, he's up there with Jim Henson and George Lucas and... That's wild. And all of that. So, um, yeah, I, I did look up other things he's directed. So he directed the original Dark Crystal, which was a Jim Henson uh-huh. film. So he directed that, and then he also directed... Um, which is probably my least favorite movie. I have Little Shop of Horrors, which also mm-hmm. has extensive puppetry. Puppetry, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, he, he voiced the, the OG... <laughs> the OG Yoda, but also the OG Miss Piggy... And yeah, a bunch of Sesame Street characters. Because Jim Henson voiced um, Kermit, and right. Frank Oz voiced Miss Piggy. Holy so crap. Like, I, like, I knew this, and for some reason, when I looked up his bio, I think it's because it starts at the his like later years or whatever, and I was like, weird that he does these like kind of fill-in voices, I don't know, but that's so crazy. Yeah, man, if you scroll, I, I would imagine it would go toward, to like, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, well, he's done a bunch of different cool stuff. I, lo- I love Including Frank- this film. I love Frank Oz. I think he's just... And, yeah, randomly he's in uh, Trading Places. It's kind of like a cameo character. But, hmm. he, yeah, he pops up a lot. Yeah. That's wild. Well, yeah, he's awesome. He... Okay, so I thought something that was interesting was he... Really wanted to make Peter Vaughn, who plays um, Uncle Alfie, laugh on set. And they have this kind of like a bloopers reel, essentially. And they didn't have any, any of Peter Vaughn because he was like in that Uncle Alfie role. And like they could not break him. They just couldn't make him laugh, which I love. I thought that was really, really fun Um, because they have a closing credit montage at the end of the film where they have like goofy photos of everybody and Uncle Alfie is the only one that's like in character 
because I couldn't get one of them. I just thought that was really sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, Uncle Alfie was a, a legend. Uh, yeah, I mean, he also, Peter Vaughn, I hope I'm saying that right, played a very similar character, like a crotchety old man in a wheelchair in another film. Mm. Like, either he's, right before or right after that, this one. So it's great. just like... That's awesome. Kind of, he's the perfect, perfect man for the job. Um, and the film was shot in seven weeks, which, again, I feel like is a pretty tight timeline, like less than two months. Usually my assumption is two to three months at least. Feels like kind of a feat, but at the same time, I think it's interesting that they shoot so much of it at that family home. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I wonder... It's almost all single location, and yeah. I think it's a shorter movie, too. It's a lot of driving, though. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half. Yeah. There's a ton of driving scenes, which I just... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I That's don't know. interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it's so funny. I've wanted to do it for a while. Um... Got a great cast. It's so funny. It's every time I watch it, I laugh. You know, it it is a great movie, and it it's it's a good going home movie. Mm-hmm. I think because you know, granted, a lot of the characters live in that area, but you know, it's like they're all converging into this one family home, and like for this unique. Or, you know, this very specific occasion, a funeral. But mm-hmm. then you have the brother that's having to come home from New York. And he's kind of the, you know, the golden child that's yep. returning. And you find out, like, oh. Like, he's actually not that successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the brothers have to, like, work together to, like, figure things out. Because a lot goes wrong at this funeral. <laughs> and that just goes wrong. They just, like, they find out some information about their dad that they have to grapple with and yeah this just this unveiling like there's so much happens in this what three hour time span that you would be at this funeral right like it's wild but and I love movies that take place in like a very short period of time me too like with a lot of movies it's like oh like years go by or Mm -hmm. like oh several months later this Mm -hmm. is you know this is but like movies just like one event yeah one thing like movies that take place in like one day or like an eight hour period like I kind I kind of love I do too I do too it's yeah it's just very well well crafted Yes. So, good good choice. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. We're on pretty much any uh, platform or um, service where you listen to your podcasts. Um, we're on social media. You can follow us at Happy Hour Film Club on social media. We post about our new episodes we also post our cocktail recipes it would always be really helpful if you leave us a review um that makes us super relevant and it just kind of we love hearing from you honestly you know we love feedback so let us know what you think and if you have any suggestions or uh, movies or themes that you like to suggest we're always open to that and we love hearing from you so uh thanks for listening yeah we'll see you next time well 
Actually, we'll never see you. <laughs> <laughs> but you can listen to us another time. 